Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gay Men Going Deeper, a podcast where we talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. Today, I'm your host. My name is Michael Ziario. I am a life and wellness coach specializing in self-confidence, sexuality, and relationships. Today on this episode, we're going to be talking about Purity Culture 2.0. And to help me unpack this juicy topic, I have a very special guest with me today. John Carl Lewis is joining us from Sex and the Queer Christian, formerly known as Sex and the Gay Christian. Hi, John Carl. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, guys. So um, what is purity culture? Let's start there. Um, The term purity culture, uh, I did some research on this, is actually rooted in Christianity. However, the influence of purity culture has actually permeated Western culture as a whole. So even for those of you who don't necessarily consider yourselves Christian or religious, uh, you can get a lot from this episode because believe it or not, we live in in, in purity culture uh, in some shape or form, and we can get into that a bit more later. So some of the things we'll be talking about today is what is purity culture 2.0 and how does it compare to purity culture 1.0? That was my first question. Um, How might this show up in the gay community specifically? Uh, What is the impact of living in this purity culture? How can we evolve beyond it? And for those of you who do have spiritual beliefs, John Carl will actually be sharing some tips on how you can reconcile your spirituality with your sexuality. And I'm sure we'll get into some other fun things along the way too, as we tend to do here on the Gay Men Going Deeper podcast. All right. So before we jump into the nitty gritty stuff, um, John Carl, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, well, I'm uh, I am a spiritual director, uh, which means I listen to people's stories about their faith journeys and help them discover places they might want to go, places they've been. Uh, I am a married gay man. I've been with my husband for 27 years. Uh, and I am a lifelong gay Christian, uh, despite all of the reasons I have to walk away from it. I still, uh, am invested in the, um, in the redemptive story of Jesus and, uh, ways we can be better humans. Love that. Uh, John Carl's got some great posts on his Insta, on Twitter. Uh, we got some great uh, content that he's going to share with you as well through this. And so um, tell us a little bit more, John Carl, about what it would be like growing up um, in the church. Because, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic school system, but not necessarily in the church. And that really, and I've said on this podcast before, has really shaped um, my coming out story, my relationship with sex and sexuality and all that. So I can only imagine um, the degree to which it impacted you actually being in the church. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, um, my my first, uh, the first part of my life, I suffered from benign neglect uh, in terms of my sexuality. We just didn't talk about sexuality at all. Uh, although somehow I got the message uh, that you don't get girls pregnant. Uh, and I also got the message that when I was more interested in boys than girls, I mean, this is going back to kindergarten, I realized that um, uh, my interest in boys was abnormal. I got to age 13 and thought, well, puberty is going to hit and I'm going to be interested in girls and it didn't happen. So I thought that I could pray it away. 
Uh, so all through high school, I was praying that I would develop as a normal person, normal in scare quotes. Um, and when that didn't work, I, I got to college and became involved with a group of evangelical fundamentalists. Uh, eventually, I came out to them and went into reparative therapy. And this was the time when purity culture was just beginning. Uh, we were taught that uh, sex outside of marriage was absolutely bad and evil and damaging for people, uh, that uh, any shows of sensuality or flesh, would we would tempt each other and lead each other into sin. And of course, homosexuality and same-sex affection were completely off the table. Uh, so when it turned out that praying was not making the gay go away, I was faced with the choice of being celibate for the rest of my life. And the thought of that drove me, uh, absolutely insane. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I figured I could live without sex, but I couldn't live without love in my life and intimate love. Um, so rather than killing myself, I... Don't know how I came across this literature, but I actually started reading literature from Christians who were affirming of same-sex desire and sexuality, and I eventually found a safe home in the Episcopal Church. Fascinating. So, you know, I have to ask a question. Why, why not just walk away altogether from the church? Well, that uh, the reason I think that I didn't walk away from the church is because uh, I was raised in uh, a black church tradition um, where Jesus is actually uh, a change, a social um, there. There's a sense that Jesus cares about society and the flourishing of yeah. everybody in society. And when that Jesus gets under your skin, it's hard to look at, all these other pictures of God people are showing you. Um, um, I never really bought into the angry God because for me, Jesus was the face of God and Jesus was all about love. Uh, and even though I didn't have the scripture study to back up my impulse at the time, I just, I just knew that my spirituality was as innate a part of me as my hair color. It's part of the human experience, which we all express in different ways, but we express it in some way or another. I love that. Uh, yeah. So my story is not quite that. Um, being, you know, in the Catholic Catholic school systems where, where I kind of learned about religion, Catholicism rather, um, it was that angry God. And I just didn't like mm -hmm. all the rules and like, you have to be like this and you have to be like that. And, you know, when I went to church, it was very, you know, pageantry, but not in the fun campy way, although it kind of is looking at it now, <laughs> but there was just all this, all this stuff around, like, you know, for show, everything was for show. Right. And I just yeah. never liked that. I never liked that. So it was easy for me once I came to terms with the fact that I was gay, it was easier for me to just say, fuck it. I don't want to be part of any of this at all. And so I threw everything out um, for years, probably, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. And then eventually my path came back to spirituality. And mm -hmm. I, I I don't use the same word there. Like Catholic is one thing, but I consider myself spiritual. Um, mm -hmm. So I still have a lot of those beliefs, but they're very different. And then in that way, I kind of ended up 
where you had always been, which is spirituality is a part of who I am, whether I know it or not, whether I like it or not. And and I've learned to integrate my sexuality with it, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about purity culture. Um, the title of this episode is called Purity Culture 2.0. Um, do we need to tell the audience a little bit about what Purity Culture 1.0 is first? Sure. Uh, Purity Culture 1.0 was um, what I was starting to run into when I was in college. Uh, sex is only for marriage between one man and one woman for life until you die, no divorce, no remarriage. Uh, and uh, homosexual acts are sinful and put you in danger of going to hell. Um, at this time, uh, this is the late 80s and early 90s, um, AIDS, HIV was ravaging uh, the gay population uh, in every major city and was starting to creep into small towns as people would come home to die, literally. Uh, and purity culture also was able to capitalize on that in a sick way and say, you see, if you don't, if you don't have sex the right way, you will catch something and die. People will actually say that. Uh, so purity culture 1.0 this is basically in a nutshell. Sex is very, very bad. Save it for someone you love. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, uh, I remember not not being in the late eighties, early nineties, but still that 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 attitude of it's punishment, kind of somewhere along the way, I that that was thrust onto me, and that was one of the biggest fears I had when I was kind of coming to terms with my sexuality. I didn't know how you got HIV or AIDS. I didn't realize it was uh. sexually transmitted. I just thought, oh, because I'm gay, I'm going to get it just just by existing, and that was my biggest fear. Um, my biggest fear was I have to not acknowledge this. Otherwise, you know, God will give me this disease and, you know, everyone will know. Uh, it wasn't so much even at the time. This is when I was really young. I was maybe like 12 years old here. Um, I remember thinking it's not so much the disease I was afraid of. It was more so that people will know my, yes. shame, my shameful secret. Well, that is one of the uh, worst part, worst parts of the um AIDS epidemic at that time, uh, people were living relatively fulfilled uh, but closeted lives. And all of a sudden they have to explain yeah. to their family, their friends, their boss, you know, uh, why um, they were dying of this disfiguring, it was visible, this disfiguring disease um, that uh, is primarily transmitted through sexuality. Um, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, has quite a quite a lasting impact, to say the least. So then where does Purity Culture 2.0 fit in? Purity Culture 2.0 is coming about because um, large numbers of Christians, people who were raised in schools with abstinence-only education, uh, have realized how damaging Purity Culture 1.0 was. Um, it is, it causes people to have sexual problems within marriage because sex is bad, 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 bad until you get to the wedding bed. And then it's supposed to be hearts and flowers and rainbows and ecstasy. And 
that's just not how sex works. You can't you can't suppress it all your life and then flick on a switch and suddenly it's wonderful. It's something you have to learn. Um, so there's this whole critique of purity culture 1.0 and the ways it's damaged people, especially women. Um, mm -hmm. But purity culture 2.0 is something that I've seen very recently. Uh, for instance, in I think it was 2020, a new website launched called Christian Sexuality. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. How bad could it be? And as I have watched this site develop over the years, it is a very slick way of trying to get people, um, they present themselves as hip, as cool. We understand, you know, you may have gay friends and we understand that. Um, and you may be gay. We understand that. We accept you. But if you have sex, you're outside of God's will. Okay. And you may be going to hell. Uh, so what, what has, what has happened with purity 2.0 is they've decided that, well, maybe being gay isn't bad, uh, but, um, uh, being gay isn't bad, but acting on the, the sexual attraction is still as bad as it ever was. And this spills over into, um, a lot of Christian culture, uh, a, a lot of the work being done um, in trying to reconcile sexuality with spirituality is done on the level of identity. Uh, so lots of apologetic for, of course, it's okay to be gay because you were created that way. You had nothing to do with it. And, and some more progressive people would say, uh, it's a great thing to be gay because uh our diverse creation needs us all to be different we all have different gifts um but the purity culture seeps into gay culture because they also go towards this one size fits all model uh we don't talk about sex the actual act of it and when you get married then everything's going to be okay and everything is going to work out and as long as you never divorce your boyfriend or he doesn't die um, you know, you'll, you'll have wedded and sexual bliss for the rest of your life. So it sounds like progress. Cause as you're saying some of these things, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, but there's a big, but <laughs> at the end of it. Well, the big, but is that, um, over the past three years, I've been doing a deep dive into the nature of human sexuality. Um, I already had a background in theology and spirituality, uh, which is also developed over that time but i'm coming to find that human beings have a richly a richly diverse um way a uh, number of ways they can express their sexuality uh we see it in gender um we someone like me was raised to believe there were two genders boy and girl uh well that's never been true the science shows it's not true uh, you have people who are born with genitalia that we would attribute to male and female, uh, both in the same person. Some of, some people don't even know that they have, uh, strange, uh, chromosomal, um, configurations that, that don't tend to put you on one camp or the other, just like gender and sex 
and biological sex, our sexuality is all over the map. Um, there are some people who are sexually oriented towards monogamy. There are people who are not sexually oriented towards monogamy. Uh, there are people who are asexual, who do not experience sexual desire or under only under various uh, specific circumstances. We have bisexuals, we have, um, you know, monosexuals like heterosexuals and, and, and uh, straight people, uh, uh, gay people. So when one looks at all the options that are before one, um, there is no one size fits all in sexuality. You've really got to figure out for yourself what, what makes you happy. Um, and that takes a bit of research. I love that. And I advocate for that as well, not just with sexuality, but I think spirituality as well. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. It works both ways. Um, something you had said there, I wanted to go back to. Um, yes. So as I'm listening to you, uh, you know, you identify as Christian. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, you might be the most progressive Christian person I've ever hear speak. Um, so do you get much flack from uh, your, the Christian community in general? Um, yes, yes and no. I, I think when I was in the Episcopal church, um, the idea was it's okay to be gay. It's okay to have a sexual identity, um, of being attracted to the same sex, but, um, please don't actually talk about sex. Mm. Um, when I came out in, uh, finally came out in 1990 i went to the local episcopal priest and i said hi i know i'm gay i know i'm christian and um when i was an evangelical i had all these rules to follow and i knew what i was not supposed to do i wanted to know what the rules were for progressive christians and, and it came to sex and there was no rule book he told me to pray uh and i would figure it out and just that lack of guidance um, really, uh, really freaked me out. And so I haven't gotten a lot of pushback from progressive Christianity. I'm just noticing this great silence uh, around sexuality. And there are these loud voices out there, the purity culture 2.0, that are saying, you know, basically it's got to look like straight sex, straight mm. marriage, or it's not valid. And gay people, queer people have no other models than this, um, with some some exceptions. We, we could talk about the rising visibility of the polyamorous community and the bisexual community and the asexual community and the trans community, all of which are teaching us the nuances of sex and showing us that, that sex isn't one size fits all. I love that. And we've talked about, you know, on this podcast, several episodes on monogamy, non-monogamy, all of that good stuff. And it's one of those topics that really gets a lot of people riled up one way or another. So I think it's great. And I, I, I think having the conversation, the work that you do is great because we need to talk about it. Talking about it gives us power. It gives us language, which then gives us options and solutions and, and a way forward. So um, I think this podcast hopefully will be helping a lot of people out there who might be struggling with the same thing. Yeah, really. I'm the what I find interesting about the uh, 
the monogamy, uh, non-monogamy discussion is uh, there was a survey that was done um, maybe even 10 years ago of gay men. Uh, and what they found was that 50% of the people interviewed wanted monogamy and 50% wanted non-monogamy. But if you listen to people talk, you would believe that there a lot of people who want monogamy are going around saying, everybody's non-monogamous. Why can't I find a monogamous person? And then you have all these non-monogamous people running around saying, uh, every time I get into a relationship, they want to lock me down. I'm not even allowed to look at other people. Um, But I would say there are enough of each for everybody. Uh, If you want a monogamous relationship, they're out there for you. I will introduce you to them. (laughs) We we want monogamous people to get together and and be happy. Likewise, we want people who are who are oriented in another way to find their bliss also. It's it's not a zero-sum game. There's enough for everybody. Oh my gosh. So well said. Thank you. Everyone rewind that, listen to it again, underline it, repeat it, put it on your fridge. A hundred percent, John Paul. That is, that is exactly right. I couldn't agree more with that. And this is a great example of um, how we might be seeing purity culture 2.0 in the gay community in these kinds of conversations. So for the viewer listener out there who has stuck with us, even though they might not be Christian or religious, know that this, these, this, this is the way that uh, purity culture 2.0 is kind of permeating our gay culture. Um, can you think of other examples, John Carl, where like maybe, you know, this is on the streets, uh, the things we're talking about, uh, even policy, perhaps? Um, well, in terms of policy, uh, there's a there's a book I read called Sex, God and the Conservative Church mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Dr. Tina Schirmer Sellers, who who educates psychologists in human sexuality, uh, which, by the way, it's not a standard part of the training for psychologists to know anything about human sexuality. Um, so uh, you may want to check and make sure you get someone who knows something about sex if you're going to deal with sexual issues. But anyway, she noticed that in the 2000s, um, she would hand out a survey and ask people to describe their sexual histories. Uh, and up until the 2000s, people were able to do this. They were able to talk about their sexual histories. And then the 2000s, she started getting um, the sense that that people's sex lives were not okay, uh, that uh, sex was painful for a lot of people. A lot of people were avoiding sex. Um, and this all comes in, a po- uh, in terms of policy from all the work the conservative Christian church has done to take over school boards and institute mm-hmm. abstinence-only education. Um, it's even worse now. I mean, in Florida, can you believe they have extended um, a policy that prevents you from talking about being gay until the 12th grade? That doesn't it's, serve anybody. <laughs> it does not serve anybody. Um, I, I just... I weep for those people. Um, there, there are 10-year-old girls who are not allowed to talk about their periods because they're not old enough to have sex education. Yeah. Um, uh, yet they can have periods. They can get married at 14. 
but no, we can't give them any information about sex because that would be corrupting them. So this is purity culture here. This is purity culture gone wild, taking over our U.S. educational system. Okay. Um, and and in the gay community, like besides the open relationship examples, I'm thinking like even things like I don't know if this would count. You you tell me you're the expert, but um, there's a lot of stigma around things like prep. Uh, people who use prep. Um, yes. So how would it show up there? Well, it shows up there because uh, this is one of the worst things about purity culture. Uh, they ask you to suppress your sexual desires. If you're not supposed to be having sex, then you're also not supposed to be thinking about it. You're not supposed to be having sex with yourself. That means no mm. masturbation, no no watching erotica, no fantasizing about um you know the boy next door nothing they don't they want to all shut down um and so prep comes under the the same scrutiny that that contraceptives would you know mm -hmm. why do you need contraceptives if you're only having sex within marriage aren't children a blessing uh why would you want to not have children prep is you know here is this life-saving drug you take it and you you can't get HIV, um, which still has no cure. It will kill you if you don't get it treated. Um, thanks be to God, people are living long, healthy lives yeah. uh, because of the drugs we have for HIV. But if you plan for sex, then you're a slut because mm. sex is supposed to just sort of magically happen in relationship after you fall in love. Well, that's not how humanity works. Sometimes you have to have sex before you fall in love. I know that's happened to me a few times. Yeah, definitely happened to me too. That's my story. <laughs> More often than not. <laughs> sex <laughs> is easy. Love is hard for me. I'm speaking for myself here. Um, so I think it's important that we also talk about the, the other extreme, right? So we're talking about purity culture. In your guide, Seven Steps Toward Sexual Peace of Mind, uh, which we're going to link in the show notes, by the way, um, you mentioned something called sexual consumerism. Yes. Um, about uh, often when people, especially people who have lived under a repressive sexual ethic come out, um, they think, you know, where are the rules? They look around, there are no rules that make sense. So our culture being a consumerist culture is feeding us all these messages that you should be having sex all the time. You mm -hmm. should be having sex with everybody. And the way to have sex with everybody is to buy these products, buy this workout, eat this food that's going to make you buff and muscular and cookie cutter so that you can attract the people to have sex with. Um, which I'm, and I'm glad that uh, Game and Going Deeper is out there talking about sexuality and body image and things like that, because our culture is feeding us um, the notion that sex is all about um, consuming. Um, how many people can you get? How do you hold on to a boyfriend? There's there's a Instagram account how to find and keep a boyfriend. People aren't pets. They're, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're full human beings with their own personalities. They're not possessions. 
Um, and um, I was going to early on say um, that purity culture was the opposite of hookup culture. But quite frankly, you know, a, a gay pastor told me, you know, hookup culture may be fine for some people. It may just be where they are. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but um, but the messages, the, the anti-purity culture messages are often telling us that there is only hookup culture. There is only using people right. for their bodies um, and that there is no spiritual aspect involved in sexuality. Right. Where was that pastor when I was a kid because, or not a kid, but, you know, a young adult, because that's exactly what I, what I would describe as myself was, and I talk about this on the podcast all the time. I love hooking up. It's great. There was a time when I was doing it that was not useful for me because I, you know, looking right. at it now, it wasn't, it wasn't serving my needs, but overall, I, st I still think it's fun and it's great and it's exciting and it's an adventure and I love it. And then, you know, if, if everyone is doing it for the right reasons or the people who are doing it are doing it for the right reasons, then why the hell not, right? That's just mm -hmm. my perspective. So I love that there are these voices out there that are also people of faith or in the church. Like, I can't believe a pastor would say that. That just blows my mind. That's never what I would hear from, you know, a Catholic priest, at least not in my church as a kid. Well, I, I hate to um, I hate to burst your bubble in mind, Michael, but um, this particular priest was in his 20s. Oh. <laughs> so right. there are these voices out there um, who are have just not reached um they've just not reached a level where the culture can hear them yet uh there's also brandon robertson who has a very progressive sexual ethic again he's in his 20s um so we've got a whole generation of people who are yeah. throwing over this purity culture who've thought about it but they're not in positions of power they're not making policy um and I would like to see their voices amplified. Um, For our viewers, okay. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, go finish. Finish your thought. No, you know, I I have been waiting for progressive Christians to write a guide to sexuality uh, for thirty years. Now there is um, a series uh, called "Our Whole Lives" that's been put out by the Unitarian Church with the United Church of Christ which is faith-based, age-appropriate, comprehensive sex education. Um, but again, that doesn't get a lot of press. Not a lot of people know it's there. And I hate that this 56-year-old man has to, um, ha has to, you know, I should be retiring soon. You know, I shouldn't be like looking for ways to shout from the rooftops, you're okay sexually, you need to explore. So here's what I was going to say. Great segue. I was going to say for our viewers out there, you can they can see that you are not a 20 year old man. But for our listeners, uh, you just said you're 56. Yes. Yeah, you're 56. So here you are. And, you know, I think this is really important. You, I see you anyway, as a leader of this voice. And so, yes, there might be, you know, 20 something year old people doing this in the church, but you're you're in the church as well, right? You're a spiritual director. Yes, I'm a spiritual director. Um, and uh I get to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I love doing that. Um, uh, and what I would like to do more of is uh, talk to people about the connections between their sexuality and their spirituality. 
um, I was speaking with um, a, a woman pastor this morning um, who was talking about how people who have questions about sexual issues who are in the church, who are Christian, who are spiritual, um, often don't know where to look. They don't know who to turn to. So they go to their nearest pastor, usually a male, usually with, you know, patriarchal beliefs, usually a traditionalist, and they ask them questions that they're not prepared to answer because um, nobody's trained in seminary to talk about sexuality, mm-hmm. um, and uh, except for these 20-somethings who are beginning to get educated. Uh, and... Um, And raising the profile of sexuality as a legitimate uh, area of of, to be talked about in the church is some of the work I'm going to have to do. (laughs) Great. And it's work that needs to be done. And uh, I think there's no better person. Uh, there's probably a lot of people who who can be doing this work, but it's great that, you know, like we say here all the time, right? If there's, if, if no one's saying something that you, that needs to be said, then it's, it's on you to say it, right? Take that spot. And so I hope right. that this podcast really does help. First of all, people who need to hear you will find you. And secondly, hopefully it inspires other people who are in similar positions to do the same. Right. Because we're not alone. There are lots right. of us. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, if I had anything to tell uh, a young spiritual person of any spiritual flavor um, uh, is that there is there are ways to understand your tradition that are life-giving, that are affirming. Um, this version of Christianity we have has been horrible at narrowing it down to you know a set of do's and don'ts, but the Jewish tradition was never the sex negative. Um, the, and, you know, you've got tantric sex in Hinduism and you have Taoist sex in, you know, in Taoism. And um, there are all of these traditions, these spiritual traditions that uh, honor the erotic uh, and, and are spiritually based. So I ask you a big question now uh, at the macro level, right? How do you think Christianity as a whole needs to evolve beyond this purity culture? Um, Christianity needs to first have a conversation with itself. Um, there is a need for the church to take a serious look at the science and the medicine around sexuality uh, and say, you know, this is what human nature is about. Those Christian traditions that don't fear science need to take a look at the science and need to take a look at the experience of people writing and talking about their lives and how they're different from each other uh, and have a conversation about, you know, they need to make a choice. Are we a church that can speak to a whole person, or are we a church that's going to uh, continue to pull out lies? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that conversation then needs to expand to um, what are 
honorable ways of being sexual with each other. Uh, what are sexual ethics in our progressive era? How do we treat women not as objects of desire that will make men fall if they have their shoulders uncovered? I don't know if you went through that, but but literally women had to have their shoulders covered in church or or boys would would fall into sin and masturbate for God's sake. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I remember not being allowed to go into a church in when I was traveling in Europe because I was wearing a tank top, but I was not a woman. <laughs> well, yes, but Michael, you might cause someone to stumble. Well, hey, I mean, <laughs> what if I'm okay with it? <laughs> uh, yes, that's uh, that's probably why uh, I don't go to church that often. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, um, uh, I mean, the problem is when when is trying to keep the priests from stumbling. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it's sort of like they don't want temptation walking down the aisle where they do their work uh, because they're really not good at resisting it. Yeah. I mean, Christianity has taken like a shit kicking in terms of its like brand, if you want to call that or its reputation. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't know. Is, is there a way back at this point? Um, yes, there's a way back, but uh I um, I was in a conversation with some people who were very concerned about the, the future of the church. And um, maybe the church is not going to look like it did in the 50s, where you dressed up in a suit and you and your wife and your two kids, one a boy and one a girl, went to church and sat there and listened to a sermon and listened to the choir and... Um, that is all falling apart. Um, maybe church is going to look like what happened during the pandemic, where groups of progressive um, pastors who were deconstructing, which is a whole other discussion, uh, who were thinking through the ways that their faith hasn't worked for them, would get together and create communities of people who just ask questions. Mm. who just read the scriptures together and say, what does this mean? It doesn't mean what they told us it meant. So what does it mean for us? Uh, and being able to speak to the whole person in an intimate way, as opposed to, you know, speaking this truth from the pulpit that doesn't fit everybody or anybody. You said the whole person a few times. I think I know what you're saying by that, but tell us what you mean by when you say speaking to the whole person. Um, when I say speak to the whole person, I in the back of my mind is um, a scripture that where where someone came to Jesus and they were trying to test him and they asked him, "What's the greatest commandment?" And Jesus said, "You know, you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind." and strength uh and love your neighbor as yourself if you do that you're good is basically what he said and that's always stuck with me because um a spirituality needs to speak to whatever it is that connects us to something beyond ourselves that i call spirit uh but it needs to speak to our emotions our hearts it needs to speak to our minds uh, and it needs to speak to our bodies. Um, 
we are multifaceted people and we need to be healthy in multifaceted ways, you know. Well said. What, what good is it if, you know, my mind is intellectually stimulated and um, I'm letting my body be unhealthy, you know, and that looks different for every person, but, you know, uh, it's where you put your attention. Yeah. The word integrity comes up for me, like having integrity with your values and who you are and finding that, that sweet spot, that's going to be different for everybody, right? It's not a one size fits all solution. Right. It's not a one size fits all solution, you know, and, and that goes back to, I mean, you look at, you look at creation, um, and, um, the, you look at how diverse it is and, when you look at how the little pieces of nature work with each other, it's sort of like this worm lives next to this tree because it has things the tree needs and the tree has things it needs. And our diversity is because we need parts of each other. We, we can't do life by ourselves. It's uh, important that we have other people and other energies, you know, available to help us grow. 100%. Um Let's talk about how, though. Uh, we love to talk on this podcast about the how, take it into some tangible steps here. So um, at the individual level, so we talked about the the macro. For someone out there who might be listening or watching here, and let's say they want to develop a sexuality for themselves as this unique human being, whole whole person, but it resonates, that still resonates with their spiritual values. How would they go about doing that? Well, um, first you would go to my website and download <laughs> the seven steps towards sexual peace of mind. Yeah. Um, and um, and let me give you a few of those steps. The, the second step is taking a look at where you are sexually, uh, where, where you are in terms of what you've inherited from people. Um, we learn before we're even verbal um about sexuality and our bodies uh again tina Shermer sellers tells the story that um two-year-olds left to their own devices will rub their hands on their genitals all day long because it feels good and they will do that until a parent catches them and so many of us don't remember when our parents slapped us on the hand and said, don't touch there, that's dirty. Mm. But our body remembers, our emotions remember. So the first step is to, is to look back at all these places and see what do I actually believe now about sex? Um, what have my friends taught me about sex? What has my culture told me about sex? You know, what is television saying? Television is saying, you've got to look this way. You've got to buy this hair product because your hair needs to be this way and this length. And you need to buy these clothes so that you don't scare people off and you need cologne so that, you know, you know, you, you attract people with your smell. Um, and, you know, the, all those factors you need to be aware of. Second step, the step after that is, um, Unfortunately, uh, we're in a culture where you need to educate yourself about the sexual possibilities. Um, there are wonderful websites. I love scarlatine.org uh, and the Trevor Project and these 
websites that uh, Planned Parenthood has a wonderful website where anything you want to know about sex, it's there. You know, anything you want to know about your own desires, it's there. Uh, I'm a little um, upset with YouTube because when you Google sexuality and spirituality, uh, especially Christianity, you get these horrible Purity 2.0 videos at the top of the list. Um, and I don't know what we're going to do about that. So um, you've got to be careful with YouTube. But, um, you know, you have, and there are books out there now that you can read about your sexuality, about women's sexuality, male sexuality, uh, gay desire, queer sexuality. After that, um, you want to check in with your gut. When you gather all this information together, you're going to notice that your that your heart feels a certain way, your gut feels a certain way. You think, I like that, I don't like that, that scares me. Um, you want to sit with your feelings and maybe even talk to someone about them and say, this is how I feel about polyamory. Um, I'm a little interested in that. Or that scares me a little bit. Let me find out why that scares me. Uh, because sometimes something that scares you is something down the line, 10 years later, is going to be a wonderful part of your life that you couldn't live without. Uh, and that takes some ongoing discernment. Um, so those are those are three little steps you can take. And I, I would say get help. Yeah, um, yeah talk to talk to Michael. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, life coaches and spiritual directors, and there are tons of sex therapists out there who, yeah. um, know what they're talking about in terms of sexuality and can help you find out what's right for you. Yeah. Um, the first step, well, I guess your, your second step, but the first one you talked about here is exactly the same first step I have in my sexual empowerment workshops which I can't plug right now because by the time this airs, we've already started and the doors are closed. But uh, for anyone who's interested, <laughs> you can sign up for the next round. But yeah, that that is a great first step. You have to kind of know the environment that you kind of were raised in because we're not responsible necessarily for what was kind of put into our brains as children, but no. you are responsible now as an adult for questioning it. And that's the first place we start, not just necessarily from your family and the church, but even like as an adult, what is you know, gay culture telling us and teaching us about what is a, you know, what I'd say is what is a sexy body? What, what does culture tell mm -hmm. us about that? And then question it like, wait a minute, is this true? Like since when is sexiness only reserved for people who are young or who look a certain way? Why can't it be someone who's older or someone who doesn't necessarily look that way? So I think that is just, I think in anything in life, that is a good step is to question the beliefs that we've inherited. Yeah. And you know what helps people question their beliefs more than anything else? Um, and I will get in trouble for saying this. Um, pornography has taught uh, generations of people how to have sex. And there are really, there are really serious downsides to that and really serious upsides to that. Um there is such a thing as ethical pornography. Mm. Um, and I would say to consume pornography in an ethical way, you really ought to pay for it. 
because then you're compensating um, mm. sex workers who are often sex educators uh, to um, to educate you on healthy sexuality. Um, I'm learning now about uh, tantric sex uh, from uh, a large older man who is as sexy as all hell um and you know and and has erotic videos but they teach how to uh connect with your body connect with your breath connect with your spirituality um there is himeros um which is porn that is um and and i don't know whether you can put the links in because you might get dinged for it um there is Himeros where sex educators inform what goes on um, behind and in front of the cameras. So if you can find some nice, you know, you have to look for it, but Google ethical, uh, ethical porn and um, you'll find sources, but uh, always pay for porn. And if you're, I need to put a disclaimer on this. If you're under 18, it's not made for you. Good disclaimer. This podcast, people under 18 shouldn't even listen to this whole podcast. Uh, but yes, thank you. Thank you for that disclaimer. As for YouTube, I want to go back to what you said about YouTube. If you, are, if you, viewer, listener, are going to YouTube this, please just skip all the hassle and go straight to sex and the queer Christian. Is it sex and the queer Christian or are you using gay Christian on that one? I'm using uh, sex queer Christian okay. is, is my handle there on YouTube. Or you can go to sexqueerchristian.com and uh, it will link to uh, it will link to the YouTube site. Perfect. So yes, I actually have right now, John Paul, your um, seven steps, uh, seven steps towards sexual peace of mind for the queer Christian, for queer Christian. I have it up on my computer right now. Uh, for the listeners out there, please go get this. It's free. It's 20 pages of, of pure gold goodness. Um, there's even a bonus eighth step. Uh, which mm. you can check out when you get it. And on top of that, uh, there's a whole bunch of resources that you put here as well, which is really awesome. Um, you know, books and um, reading material, which is really good. So yes, John Carl, is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I just want to thank you uh, for for the work that you do at Game and Going Deeper. And I want to thank you for your work as a life coach, which I have some experience with. Um, there are helpers out there if you look for them. Um, if you want to know how uh, to move from a non-affirming Christianity to a progressive Christianity, there are voices out there. Um, if you want to, uh, you want to find communities that will support you. There are groups out there. As time goes on, I only have so many hands, but I'll be listing these on the website too as they occur to me. But look out for the helpers. There's help out there, and um, your life will be richer for it. It really will be. And John Carl is one such helper. So there's probably going to be a bunch of people who are going to want to get in touch with you um, after hearing this episode. So uh, we talked about YouTube. Give us all the list. I'm going to put this all in the show notes. Um, so don't worry about that. But uh, tell people how they can find you, different ways they can contact you, because you do want to hear from people. Yes. 
I do want to hear from people. Uh, On my website, the front page has about four buttons on it that say, let's talk. (laughs) And that is a free conversation. Um, We'll talk for an hour or less, depending on you, depending on what's on your mind. Uh, And um, you can can ask me any questions. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know, and point you in another direction. I know plenty of good sex therapists and life coaches and communities uh, to refer you to. So let's talk um, again. If you go to the website, sexqueerchristian.com, you can reach me there. Um, You can click on my little Calendly link and pick a time that's good for you. And I will pick a time that's right for me and we'll talk. Perfect. Um, What about social media? Social media, I have a presence on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Instagram is where I will let you know about updates, uh, things to look for, things that are coming up. Uh, Twitter, I spend my my Twitter hours um, boosting information that I think is of interest to uh, Christians who are uh, interested in queer spirituality and fighting with the um, the people who are pushing purity culture 2.0. Keep up the fight for us. <laughs> All right. And what else you could do is uh, this is going to be on YouTube. So please, if you're watching on YouTube or even if not, go to the episode and comment, share with us your thoughts, share with us your own stories. Uh, John Carl and I will be commenting and replying to to Absolutely. your comments there. So you can do that as well. All right. So with that said, I want to thank you again, John Carl, for all the work that you do and uh, for joining us today on this episode. You gave me a great idea for another podcast uh, called Ethical Pornography. I wrote it down. Yay. (laughs) I just like, oh, that's a great idea. So um, thank you for inspiring me as well, even during the episode. Wonderful. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And uh, please go give this podcast a five-star rating. Uh, Share with us your comments on YouTube and join us in the Game Men's Brotherhood Facebook group. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.